Mental health champions, we are back with another great show ahead. And this week, we are joined by a U.S. Navy veteran who unknowingly tapped into being neurodivergent, using his autism to become a highly successful serial entrepreneur and CEO. I learned that being autistic has allowed him to see unusual patterns to improve business strategy, create first of kind products with unique physical designs, take business risks and so much more. But being neurodivergent also came with a personal cost, such as having challenges developing and maintaining close relationships. His confirmed late autism diagnosis has changed his life. While he still focuses on developing his business, he has now pivoted time to find new ways to support others who are also neurodivergent and may not know how to tap into their abilities to succeed at work. His new mission is to advocate for autism awareness in the workplace and help others overcome obstacles to create cool new companies, products, and more. And I love this here, giving back through your story, your experiences here. And as we have a guest today joining us, with sharing his experiences being neurodivergent and everything he's overcome. I think he can add so much value to this community listening on today for anyone out there who is also neurodivergent or knows someone who is, because we're going to raise some awareness today going over an article titled, What is Neurodivergent and What Does It Mean to Be? We're going to get a better understanding for that, but we have a show to go through first. Peter, thank you so much for joining a mental health break. Hey, Vincent, thank you so much. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And I again want to thank you for sharing your story, your experiences, starting us out here in the first quarter of 2022, ending January. Peter, I want to kick this show off. Can you please share your mental health journey with us? Hmm. Yeah. So for me, uh, you know, when I think of mental health, it's just kind of emotional well being and just kind of how you're feeling and, <clears throat> and, you know, I, as you mentioned, I was a uh, late diagnosed autistic. I, you know, went through most of my life not realizing I was autistic, not even really understanding what autism is. Um, and then once it finally became apparent and I went through and got the diagnosis, um, I, I think the natural uh, thing to do is to go back and rethink through your life and you see things completely differently and in terms of mental health, um, something that is, you know, I can only really speak for myself, but I believe yes, it's pretty please, yeah. common amongst autistics is um, just, you know, uh, anxiety um, is an issue to manage. And, you know, when you look at an autistic person and you're like, why do they have these routines or what's called repetitive behaviors? And it's really a way of dealing with anxiety. It's a way of reducing variables or things that, you know, for me, I'm always thinking what can go wrong. <laughs> and so you're trying to minimize any kind of breakdown um, and anxiety kind of rears its head. Um, you know, I think we feel it. I, I know there's a brain difference, um, amygdala and some other things that are different. And, you know, I think we, you know, even though we may not look like it mm -hmm. on the inside, we're feeling things very intensely um, and it leads to anxiety and you end up with your brain on a loop when you're just like consumed with something. And so, and so, um, you know, I've just, without even knowing I was autistic kind of developed ways of coping with that, um, you know, and, and kind of maintaining my mental health. But for me, it really 
comes down to just uh, management of anxiety. At Tampa Counseling and Wellness, we want to remind you that it's okay to not be okay. Reaching out for support and asking for a little extra help can be overwhelming, but everyone deserves a safe space to heal. We're so honored to be that space for Florida residents. If you want to learn more about our services or you'd like to set up a free consultation with one of our clinicians, you can call or text us at 813-520-2807. We're looking forward to growing with you. I think systems in place can help everyone not just those battling autism, but I want to go back here. You mentioned that having these systems in place helps you improve your anxiety. It hel- it helps you minimize these breakouts. Is that what you're saying? That Because I can even agree for me with my anxiety, when I'm organized and I have my systems in place, my day goes a whole lot smoother. Yeah, and I think I think it's just a level with most things with um, with autism, it's a level of um, intensity um and extent like you know growing up when i was a kid i ate the same thing for lunch every day you know there's this sameness it's a term that's used even today i eat like very narrow (laughs) things the same things over and over again i my daily routine is the same you know seven days a week it doesn't really matter um it's it's you know i know there's the weekends and and the work week but for me every day is the same in terms of how I structure my day and and what I do and what I eat and and things like that. I love it. I right there with you with structure as an entrepreneur. And you are also an entrepreneur. We're going to touch on that on a preview <laughs> to that entrepreneur show. But as an entrepreneur, we have to be disciplined. And it seems like you found something that works well with you. You found your you had this company that you're able to put all of your energy to. You have this great work ethic, this great discipline. I want to congratulate you for how far you can continue to come. You're inspiring me already. All right, thanks. But I want to also now delve a little deeper into it, Peter. What are some things you do for your mental health, some things you do to improve your mental health? Yeah, so, I mean, over time, I've just kind of figured this out. Um, You know, for me, just to give a bit of a story, elementary school was extremely difficult for me. There's no structure there's no schedule there's kids are loud it's it's chaos and i I was just paralyzed through elementary school i'm kind of question why they even pushed me along because i was i was at the bottom of the of the class and then when it got to sixth grade i remember you know waiting for the mailman to come because he actually had a schedule like i knew what to expect Mm -hmm. and when i would be in certain classes and then um you know they had clubs and i joined running club and for an autistic person you know it's pretty common to be in um, individual type sports like distance running or swimming or something like that and for me that was really therapy because all the anxiety that's built up inside i have a way of in a healthy way of just getting rid of that and so you know you're outside you're moving um that was really helpful uh, later in life, I kind of really uh, focus more on my diet, and that has really helped my maintain a consistent energy throughout the day. So I switched to be, um, you know, vegetarian, and for me, it's it's been really helpful. And so I think you know these things apply to almost anyone. Yes, but um, you know, but 
I think when you're autistic, if you're just a little bit off, you're just not functioning <laughs> like yourself. Whereas right. a neurotypical person, I think you've got a little bit more of a buffer there in general. I, right. I, I not everyone's that way, but um, in, in general, I think, I think that's the case. And so for me, it's figuring out what works and it's like getting proper sleep, exercise, um, eating good food. If I eat junk food, my brain just kind of, after a while, just kind of shuts down. And so, yep. I just don't do it. And you're not the fun person if you <laughs> want to go and do those things. But, you know, yet I got to a point where it's like, I don't care. Like, I, I'd rather feel good and be my best than have to fit in with, you know, what everybody else wants to do. I'm just very impressed overall. We're talking about things, sleep, proper nutrition. These are things that we need to be at our best. Like you're saying, you feel a little off with that junk food. I I feel the same way where we are where we eat in certain ways. If I have a good morning, I wake up and I have eggs. And then for lunch, I'll have some chicken and rice. I'm feeling good. I'm moving around. I'm productive. If I went to McDonald's and I got a Big Mac, how am I going to feel right after that? Am I going to feel like, well, I want to work? I'm not going to really feel motivated to do much, I feel. So thank you for stressing the importance of healthy eating. What is your go-to meal? What's your go-to meal? So, um, so for breakfast, I always eat like oatmeal, the whole grain oats. I'm kind yeah. of, um, uh, kind of picky about exactly what kind <laughs> that is. It's just the, I don't blame yeah, you. I, I kind of splurge on, you know, what's better and what's healthier, not the mass market stuff. And then for lunch, it's usually some kind of a healthy soup. And then, you know, for dinners, whatever my wife makes, but she's kind of, you know, has her like a five five meal rotation, um, or six, you know, but, um, but anyways, that's kind of, um, the way it was always growing up. I always, you know, as a kid just ate cereal. Then I brought a peanut butter jelly sandwich and an apple. That was my, that was my meal from um, kindergarten to 12th grade. <laughs> well, I, I've also read things about the mass produced oatmeals, for example. So I certainly can understand how you, why you go about that for sure. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It just, um, anyways, it's just any little thing to, you know, make you feel your best. Cause to me, you know, being autistic, sometimes it's like you're standing on a three-legged stool and if one, one leg gets kicked out, like something's not, you know, um, done the way you really need to be done. You're, you're just, you're operating at 50% at best. I love it. Well, thank you so much for adding value all the way through this episode so far. And before we learn what piece of advice he can offer everyone out there who may be struggling today and any area he wants to shed light on relating to mental health, we're going to dive into this week's Spotlight Story. It is from the Very Well Mind website, and I want to raise more awareness on this topic. And it again is titled, What is Neurodivergence and What Does It Mean to Be Neurodivergent? The article describes neurodivergence as the term for when someone's brain processes, learns, and or behaves differently from what is considered typical. Formally considered a problem or abnormal, scientists now understand that neurodivergence isn't inherently an issue for the individual and that it has a large societal benefit. Not all presentations of neurodivergence are a disability, like synthesia. I may be saying that wrong. Synthesia? I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, but are uh, all a difference in how the brain works. 
With this shift, practitioners are no longer treating neurodivergence as inherently an illness. They are instead viewing them as different methods of learning and processing information, some of which become disabilities as in inaccessible and in society. But now I'm going to hop into this part where it is called understanding. And I think that'll be great for once we bring our guests back on to go get some feedback with you and help everyone in our lives who is also neurodivergent. Neurodiversity is the concept that there are a variety of ways that people's brains process information, function, and present behaviorally. Rather than thinking there is something wrong or problematic when some people don't operate similarly to others, neurodiversity embraces all differences. The idea of neurodiversity also seeks to frame these differences as ones that are inherently bad or a problem. Instead, it treats them in a more neutral manner and it highlights that many different ways that neurodivergence should be celebrated and how it can be beneficial. We'll, Turk, we'll talk on quickly neurotypical, neurodivergent, and a little bit on the history. And then we're going to bring our guests back on. And neurotypical is a descriptor that refers to someone who has the brain functions, behaviors, and processing considered to be standard or typical, while neurodivergence is the term for people whose brains function a little differently in one or more ways than is considered standard or typical. The history of the word is like the umbrella term for neurodiversity, the word neurodivergent also coined by sociologist Judy Singer. While originally used to refer specifically to people who are autistic, usage of the term has broadened scientifically in years since. It now refers to any structured, consistent way that habits, that brains form differently for a group of people than they do for the majority of others. There's autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and a few other types like Tourette's, dyspareunia, synthesia, dyscalculia, Down syndrome, epilepsy, and chronic mental health illnesses like bipolar. I know we went over a lot here. Peter, what is some feedback you can offer our guests? Yeah, so I, I think when you, when you, there's two ways of looking at this. Um, there's one that they call the medical model, and there's one they call the social model. And the medical model has been the historical one, where if you look at, at autism, it's been viewed as a disorder or a medical condition. It used to be um, classified with schizophrenia, mm. and then they changed that, you know, in the 50s and 60s, they blamed it on refrigerator moms or bad moms you know of course that's that's who got the blame and then you know more recently vaccines and so i think that you know what i've seen is there's just been an evolution um and and we're really in the infancy and really understanding it but the medical model treats it like a disorder or medical condition and um the other way of looking at it is is much of what you just described is if you think of nature and biodiversity um it's you know, an autistic person is just your brain's wired differently. You think and perceive differently. It's just part of natural, you know, um, diversity mm -hmm. that takes place. And, you know, and so then you're not viewed as defective or second rate. It's more like, are you left-handed or right-handed? You know, left-handed person is not a defective right-handed person, or they don't have left-handedness. They're just left-handed. They, they yeah. you know, they use their other arm. And so, you know, an autistic person uses your brain differently. And if you look at the diagnostics, it's really a function of like routines and, and repetitive, um, what they call repetitive behavior, um, sensory sensitivity and things like that. And then 
In addition, there's co-occurring conditions that may or may not exist. Mm -hmm. And that could be uh, cognitive, that can be verbal. So you could have some nonverbal folks or or not. Um, ADHD um, could show up, but that's not it. So when you think of autism, you think of um, like the full gamut of all the potential co-occurring conditions you could have, but that's not really any of that is part of, none of that is part of the diagnostics for what autism is. And so there's this kind of battle that's going on <laughs> currently within the field. And it's interesting because if you have, you know, autistic adults, they um, more than 90% subscribe to the social model where like we're autistic people. And if you look at neurotypical, which are essentially non-neurodivergent folks, um, they go with a person first. So it's a person with autism, which to an autistic person, that's kind of, um, and that's the way it's 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 described in the media, but you still come across as a defective person. Um, and it's, I just don't think it's healthy. And I think the medical model, um, when you consider it a medical condition, then you're, then you're striving, let's find a cure for this. Yes. And it's like, to me, it's like, it's like, are we finding a cure for left-handedness? It just doesn't make sense. Um, I you love know, the way that you put that. <laughs> it's, and so I think there's just an awareness issue. And I think, you know, um, I, I think it's, I think maybe we need to take a step back and say, what's the goal? And if you listen to autistic people, their number one concern is how do we, you know, live our best life? How do we have the best mental health? I guess if we're talking um, and, and, you know, doing research into cures or doing um, some of that's not really helpful. Um, it's like, how can we, live our best life, you know, really where we would like to see, or at least what I would like to see uh, researches into sensory sensitivity issues, which is something I haven't even gone into yet, um, which is just, <laughs> it's, it's something that unless you really have the lived experience, you really don't, don't get it. Um, it's, um, and it's, it's unique to, you know, to autism as far as I know. And so, I don't know, that's kind of an overview for, Thank um, you. Yeah. So kind of where I see, and then, you know, autism is part of neurodivergence and that can include, you know, ADHD and a number of other dyslexia, a number of other things under that umbrella. Well, thank you for sharing all that. And it's great to see that in med mental health, I should say, it's easy to let our mental health challenges affect us. It's easy to let that dictate us. It's easy to give up and say, no, you're a great example of how you're dictating it not letting it dictate you. I tried to do the same thing after my accident. I could either sit and sulk. Why me? Why me? Why me? Or we turn something terrible into something better, raise more awareness through our story, through our experiences. But even though sometimes things are great, sometimes things are not great. Recovery, life, we're constant work in progress, I feel. What is some advice you can offer everyone out there today who may be struggling? Um, so for me, like what I end up doing is I, I have things on a loop in my head or you start to obsess yeah. over something. Right. And, you know, what I found, um, which is, it just seems like it doesn't seem like this would work, but if I write it down, it kind of like that, that loop kind of stops. I don't know if I recorded it. I physically written it down. There's something about that process, um, that, um, is is almost therapeutic in that it's like i can just let this go i'm not going to forget this <laughs> it's like it's sitting there and i can come back and think about it 
um, and later. And so it's just a really a, a simple, a simple process, but I think writing things down that you're thinking about, I don't know if your subconscious then kicks in or, or what happens, but for me, it's just very like calming and I can just kind of like accept whatever the situation is. I, with a traumatic brain injury, my memory was completely gone at first, writing things down was second nature. And I share this story from time to time. I was so used to writing it in my phone, writing on a poster, writing in my uh, handwritten planner, read, write type things, trying to get my memory back. Then all of a sudden, one day I'm writing my first book, Left for Dead, and I remembered something without writing it down. And it was just the biggest smile on my face that I finally was able to gain my memory it took six and a half years almost to regain my memory a little bit but from wow. that moment i write every single thing down if i'm thinking of something write it on a post-it put it on my desk i'm always just because chances are i will forget it so writing things down that is a great tool everyone out there tbi or not write some things down because we are human we forget things life gets busy but before we sign off here peter i would love to ask you if there's any area you would like to shed light on relating to mental health anything at all um i mean i don't know if i have anything else to add i mean you have to really take care of yourself first um and be aware of kind of where you are and kind of what works for you and and don't be afraid to ask for help um sometimes just talking with someone and just getting it off your chest is 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 really all you need and so you know if there's someone that you can confide in or feel comfortable around i think that that really goes a long way um so you don't have to carry that burden inside. Um, I think that's at least from an autistic perspective, um, we internalize so much and just being able to speak about it, I think is, I think is really helpful. Absolutely. It's not healthy for everyone to keep it inside, bottle it up, get out there, find someone you could trust. Doesn't have to be a, a professional. It could be a friend, a family member. It could be on a podcast, just like him, him and I are doing right now. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Everyone stay on the lookout later in the year. Second quarter, we're going to have Peter here on That Entrepreneur Show. He's accomplished so much out in Virginia. But until then, where can we find more on you online, social media, anything you'd like to share with our audience today? Yeah, I'm on um, LinkedIn. That's where I do a lot of my, um, I guess, writing about advocacy for autism. Just Peter Mann, M-A-N-N. Um, you should find me. <laughs> Everyone, be sure to head to LinkedIn, connect with him. That is also a great resource to use if you're going to be on any social media. For me and my podcast, it's been vital to its growth. And I am at Vincent A. Lancey, and the show is at A Mental Health Break. Hashtag A Mental Health Break to see all the great content with the great guests we've had over these three or four years. And until next week, I'm signing off here in Tampa to Virginia. Peter, have a great day. All right. Thanks. You too.